Have you heard the news? Numa Worship's first instrumental album is out on your digital platform from the 30th of October. You can search for Numa Worship Stillness Album, download all 10 tracks and you will be blessed. Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. What an absolute pleasure to bring the Word of God to us this morning. Um, It's already been such a powerful morning. I trust that you have felt the presence of God right where you are, uh, just over every aspect of the service so far. We just want to pray quickly before we dive into God's Word this morning. Please join me in prayer. Holy Spirit... We're here so that you would speak to us. We're not here to hear information. We're not here to be entertained in a Christian setting. We're not here for a ritual called a Sunday service. We're not here mechanically. We come before you to be transformed by your power. We come before you that you would speak, that it would not be the voice of a human reaching an ear, but Almighty God reaching hearts this morning, this very day, Holy Spirit, would you do what only you can do as you did on the Messiah, Jesus, where he said that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, that he would set at liberty those who are repressed. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray that today there would be People who would come to know Jesus, people who are at the cusp of despair would enter into the best and most fruitful phase of their life. Bless your word. Let it water every heart. Speak to every person. Let not one person go out of that word the way that they came in, but recalibrate who we are in the mighty, victorious name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Uh, well, if you would turn with me to the first book of Kings, chapter 19, uh, a famous story about the prophet Elijah that we want to benefit from and platform from, learn from, and pray that the Holy Spirit apply it to every single one of our lives. First book of Kings, chapter 19, starting at verse 1, says that Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. I just want us to note that Jezebel sent a a messenger with a message to the man of God, saying, so let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of these prophets, basically, that Elijah had killed tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And we're going to jump to verse 9. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel 
have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Then he said to him, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks and pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquakes, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a small, still voice. In the Hebrew, it talks about not even a small, still voice. It talks about sheer silence. Amazing. A small, still voice. So Elijah wrapped his face in a mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword and I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go return to your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nemshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Snapchat, no, no, son of Shaphat. I just wanna make sure you're reading with me. You shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Amen. I just want to bring our attention right at the outset of the sharing of the word of God. That this entire scene and its context is when Jezebel sends a messenger to the prophet, the man of God, and says to him that tomorrow you shall die. I just wanna take us on a very quick journey that 40 days later, Elijah was still going strong. Four months journey, Elijah was going strong. Four years journey, and Elijah was still going strong. I wanna tell us right at the outset that the enemy talks big. The enemy knows how to breathe threats that he cannot fulfill, he's not like God. When God speaks a word, he declares the end from the beginning. When God speaks a word, heaven and earth will pass away, but not one word that comes out of the mouth of God shall not be fulfilled, it shall be. Right down to its last detail, the enemy can breathe things over your life. The enemy can bring reports to your life and my life. The enemy can say all kinds of things, but he has no power to fulfill the word that he brings over your life and my life. The enemy brings those words, those words of threat, so that he could put us in a crippling fear so that we can believe the lie and become the lie, so that we could hear something and embrace rather than the truth of God, the lie of the enemy. You see, fear is not the absence of faith. Fear is actually believing a lie. And that's exactly what happens here with Elijah. Elijah begins to believe a lie, begins to embrace what was said to him, and it begins to cripple his life, bring weakness into his life, spiral him out of control, exhaust him. Jesus said that the enemy does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. 
And that's the intention. The intention is that even though he cannot fulfill that word, but if he can get you and I to believe it and embrace it, we begin to live it out. And literally puts Elijah in a cave as a result of fear. And the cave was not even the intended end. You see, a cave is not just a geographical location, it's a state of mind, it's a hole in the ground. I don't know if you've been there, but the enemy does this with us. It's kind of like a cave to begin with and then he'll bring you one evil report. He'll say to you, guess what, you're aging out. And because you're aging out, everything that's on your life is not going to be fulfilled. You begin to believe that he brings you another report, a financial report or perhaps a health report and something very fascinating begins to happen as we begin to embrace those lies, those threats, as if they were true in our life. The cage all of a sudden no longer becomes a cave and a cage, it literally becomes a prison. And the prison, that's not even the intended end. The intended end from the enemy is that he would turn a prison into a grave. It's a three-step process. And we find it in the book of Joshua, chapter 10, where five kings thought that they were taking refuge from the heat of a battle. Sometimes we think we're taking refuge. We're going to a resting place when we move away from the engagements that are exhausting us. And we put ourselves in a cave. But then what happened with those five kings that Joshua says, roll a large stone against the cave and all of a sudden, the second stage kicked in where the cave became a prison. But it didn't end there because those five kings got killed in the cave and it became a grave. And I just wanna say right at the outset that that's exactly the enemy's agenda with all of his lives that come when we are in isolation. He wants you and I to think that we're not just in a cave, that it's going to become a prison and ultimately our grave, that it's the end. But I wanna share a word with you today, that the Lord sees it differently, the Lord ordains it differently, that it's a cave and not a grave. And there's a major difference between a cave and a grave that we're going to explore together today. I don't know if maybe you're feeling like you're in a season, just like Elijah, where you're exhausted. You're just so tired. You feel like one more thing I can't take. You're tired and you're feeling exactly like Elijah, where he felt like he's done everything he can, but, but, but nothing fruitful has really eventuated. He just fought over Mount Carmel, he thought that the desire of his heart, the prayers of many years was about to take place in turning Israel back to God, but it seemed all to come to nothing. I wanna tell somebody today, I know in my spirit that there are people watching that you're feeling that you have done everything right, yet life is so wrong and you're tired from it, you're thinking, well, I've done everything I can, why am I here? And everything that I've done, it's like it's of little worth. My life's work is of little worth. You're exhausted, you're tired. And I wanna let you know something, 
that when we're tired, when we are so fatigued, fatigue has a way of bringing strange imaginations to us. Fatigue makes us believe all kinds of lies as if they were absolutely the truth. But that's, that's just inner exhaustion. That's what it's like to be exhausted spiritually, mentally, socially, and physically. Fatigue does that. Fatigue makes us exactly like Elijah. He said to the Lord, Lord, I alone am left. And the Lord says to him, son, you have made a slight miscalculation by 6,999 people because I have 7,000 people that are with you, that that have not bowed the knee to a false god. But he was so distorted in his thinking, he was so distorted in believing the lie because that's exactly what fatigue does. You know, right now, you may be believing things about your future, about your family, things about your destiny, things about your environment that you are convinced that are truth. But can I commit to you that isolation and fatigue are lethal in what they can do to us. However, this is not a bad news story. There's a lot more to this. I just want you to know right at the outset that if you are in that space, where you're tired, where you're unsure about the future, where you think, okay, I'm actually in a grave and I'm going to die here, that there is no more for me to live. I am no better than my fathers. If you're in that space, you are in good company because that's exactly where Elijah finds himself. But thank God he doesn't stay there. Paul found himself in the same place. If you read in 2 Corinthians 1.8, Paul exactly the same. He says, we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. He despaired of life. The great apostle Paul got to a point where he was exactly like Elijah. He was in a cave and he despaired of life. He was thinking, what have I got to live for? Everything I'm doing is not fruitful. I am tired. If you're in that space, I want you to know that you're in good company with Elijah and Paul. You're in good company with Martin Luther, who says in his own chronicles that for two weeks, all he had was blasphemous thoughts of the Christ he served. So much so was his cave. So much so was the hole in the ground mentally that he put himself in, that his wife took out all the knives out of the house so that he wouldn't harm anyone or himself. I'll tell you about Charles Spurgeon and John Bunyan if we have time, but, but, but you get it. You get what I'm saying here. Men and women of God, it's not because you are weak that you find yourself in this place. There's actually a divine agenda behind all of this. This is not the work of the enemy. I'm gonna show you in the mighty name of Jesus how he takes caveman and turns him into Batman. Because that's your story and my story. I wanna commit to us this. I wanna commit to us, could it be that it wasn't Jezebel that drove Elijah into a cave? Could it be that it wasn't the demonic spirits? Could it be that it wasn't any external force or situation or circumstance, but could it be that the Lord God was behind it, allowing those things that they can bring Elijah to a cave 
and in that cave that the Lord God would meet Elijah and give him an exclusive audience with heaven that would recalibrate the course of the remainder of his life and set him for the best chapter of life to come. Could it be? Could it be that life is not out of control? But actually God is weaving divine tapestry to blow you and I in a cave where he can have exclusive audience with us. Could it be that, that, that I know that doesn't really kind of like work with your plans and my plans. Have you noticed that we're control freaks? We, we've got plans, but I wanna tell you today that God's purposes are so much more important than our plans. God knows how to bring us to a place where he can have exclusive audience with us. God blew Elijah into the cave and we're going to see that in just a minute. Perhaps God is driving you into his arms so that you can have exclusive audience with God so that he can give you a word that will recalibrate the rest of your life with a power and authority that you have never ever seen before in all your years of toil. Psalm 88 was written by the sons of Korah. One of the sons of Korah came to this very revelation. I'm going to read to us from verse four and verse 18. One of the sons of Korah writes, I am counted with foes who go down to the pit he went into his own cave. He went into his own misery. He went into his own hole in the ground. He says, I am like a man who has no strength. He really felt at the end of himself. He felt like he's got nothing more to give. In verse 18, look what he says. He says, loved ones and friend, you have put far from me. He didn't say the devil did it. He didn't say that it was just the social circumstances. He said, you have put my friends far from me. He realized that God was up to something, that God was actually getting exclusive audience with him so that he can give him a word right in that cave. I love the fact that Elijah was not just running away from Jezebel, he was running to Horeb. Horeb is the place where traditionally in the Bible you hear God's voice. That's where Moses went to speak to God and to hear God. That's where Israel went. And I wanna tell you our greatest need in a season of dryness through duty, in a season where the enemy has breathed threats, our greatest needs is not for circumstances to change. Our greatest need is to get to posture our life, to hear a word from God that will reset us on a whole different plane of life. Coming to a cave, I wanna, I wanna show us through Scripture that coming to a cave is the work of God. God in 1 Samuel chapter 22, now we're not talking about one person, Paul, we're not talking about another person, Elijah. We are talking about multitudes. 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse two says that all of those in Israel who were discontented, who were in distress and who were in debt, 3D, discontented, distress, and debt, all were blown into a cave, but what they thought was their outward circumstances by things not going well in their life. They were all blown in. They've done everything right, but life was all wrong. 
You know, they, they, they were the kind of men I didn't smoke and I didn't chew and I don't hang out with the girls who do, but still they find themselves blown into a cave, a cave called the Cave of Adullam. But you know, they go into that cave, broken men, dysfunctional men, hurting men, but guess what? They become the mighty men of David. Right inside that cave where God blew them in, He recalibrated them. He gave them a word from heaven about who they are and what they are meant to do when they come out of that cave. No longer were they in debt when they came out of a cave. They became Israel's solution of their national deficit. That's how powerful when the word comes in a cave, it literally resets the entire course of one's life. The enemy's breathing, that's the end, but God is declaring and roaring, that's the beginning. A whole new beginning over them. They went into the cave with dysfunction, they came out dynamite. Come on. That's your lot and my lot. These are things that are not written for infotainment. They're written for our learning, the Bible says, that we may learn from them. I want us to hear this loud and clear. I need us to hear that God is glorified when a cave is emptied of its occupants. God is glorified when any cave is emptied of its occupant. He finds Gideon in a cave. And I'm not talking again just that it was a geographical location. I'm talking about a mindset. Gideon's cave was, I am the least in my father's house and, 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 and we're the least of all the tribes of Manasseh. But the Lord says to him, come out of that cave and go in the might of yours, great man of valour. He takes him from a particular mindset, breathes light on him so that so much so that when victory is had, it is called the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And Gideon was blown into a whole new phase of living. The Lord allowed him in a cave, but the Lord breathed him out of a cave in a whole new way because God said, son, that is not a grave, that is a cave. And a cave made by the hands of Almighty God. Moses had a, had a cave of, I'm not eloquent enough. He had a cave of, send some young buck. I'm of aged out, send by whoever's hand you will send. But God breathed him out of the cave, met him in the cave and gave him a word. And he became the deliverer that we know today, deliverer of millions of slaves who would see the Red Sea open, who would be accompanied by a pillar of fire and a, and a cloud, who would, who would see mighty signs and wonders. Thank you, Lord, that you did not let him die in a grave, but you let him be dispatched from a cave. God is glorified when caves are emptied of their occupants. We read again of another cave in the book of John chapter 11, where Lazarus, literally his grave, it says in verse 38, was a cave. But Jesus said right at the beginning of the entire scene, he said that this sickness is not unto death, but that God may be glorified, that the Son of God would be glorified through it. It is for the glory of God. And as soon as he said, Lazarus, come out of that cave, it was then 
that, that, that God was so glorified and so many believed He was manifested. As a matter of fact, our entire Christian life, our entire Christian premise is an empty cave, the cave of Jesus Christ, where all the demons of hell came against Him, yet in that cave, resurrection power came right through. And the resurrection power is only a demonstration of what God has done with Elijah, Moses, Gideon, Jesus, you and I. I wanna commit to us today that no matter how hard this looks for you, no matter how difficult this season looks for you through isolation, through things breathed against you by the enemy, that it's a cave and not a grave. For the next few moments, I wanna take us even more practically and dive into how does God literally take us out of that cave and dispatch us into the best phase of life? How does God do it? I see a couple of things that he did with Elijah. One of the first things that the Lord did with Elijah, he says to him in verse nine of that piece of scripture that we just read. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And again in verse 13, Elijah, what are you doing here? Now sometimes people read that and they think that that's a condemning, judgmental, convicting word from God. I don't believe so. I don't believe that a God that has a son and a servant who has served him with all his might, who is weary and is toiled, is going to add burden to him. That's not God's heart. I believe God was not asking Elijah. I believe God was inviting Elijah to unburden. Elijah went into the cave with burdens that are too heavy to carry. And they're certainly too heavy to carry into a future season. And the Lord needed him to offload them, to leave them at the cave before he dispatches him. God wants you and I to walk free from certain cares and burdens, not that they don't exist, but that we move them on to the shoulders of the one who carries our burdens. That's why 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 says, cast all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. I'm not meant to walk around thinking, oh, I'm gonna die, there is no more, my family's over, my destiny's gone, I am aged out, none of those things. It's not meant to be like that. I am meant to take all of that and dump it at the feet of Jesus Christ and then walk free. It's exactly like a Formula One car. A Formula One car, when it's doing what it's designed to do, when it's going hard, when it's taking the corners precisely, when it's slowing down when it needs to slow down, and when it's speeding up when it needs to speed up, when it's totally in sync with its design, yet it has to come to a pit stop. It has to, because through wear and tear, I just want you and I to know that exactly our lives are like that, even if we're living right in the centre of God's will. Actually, especially if you are living in the centre of God's will, you're going to experience the dryness through duty. You're going to experience the challenges of hell against you and against your destiny. And there's going to be some wear and tear. And God literally has to take you and I inside a cave so that the things that are worn could be taken off us and then he can get our pistons refiring again. Right there, I wanna encourage somebody, you've been carrying 
something that the Lord does not want you to carry anymore, son, daughter. But today is the day that you let the true carrier of it all, that you bring it to him. Don't carry it anymore, but bring it to him. Bring it to him knowing that he is for you. Bring it to him that he wants to take it off you. Bring it to him because he doesn't want you running with that load. Even if the circumstances don't change, the load will be carried by the Messiah. And you will go free just like Elijah did. All of a sudden, Elijah now comes out of the cave once he unloads. The Lord brings him out of the cave, out of the dark, damp place. He says to him, now come to the mountaintop. You're not designed for a hole in the ground. You're designed for mountaintop. And now let me talk to you. And this is where it gets good. This is where it gets good. The Lord in verse 15 says to Elijah, I want you to go back to the wilderness of Damascus. And I want you to do two things. I want you to anoint two kings and a prophet. I love this. He says to Elijah, this is going to be the finest hour of your life, son. Everything that you have ever prayed for, you have prayed for national revival, yet you have not yet seen Israel come to God. You have prayed that the kingdom would be turned over to Jehovah, but you have not yet seen it. I'm going not only to give it to you, but I'm going to give it to you without labour, with a spirit of ease. I'm going to get you to anoint two kings, the king of Syria, and I'm going to get you to anoint a king of Israel. Now, here's the fascinating thing. We read about a lot of great things that happened in the life of Elijah, but since when do we ever read that Elijah would go and anoint any pagan king and that king would literally, his heart would turn back to the Lord God and he would hand over the kingdom to the authority of Jehovah. We've never read that, except in Elijah's last chapter. I wanna tell you that your last chapter is your best chapter and the Lord's going to do it with a spirit of ease. Do you know, through that anointing, A man by the name of Jehu is anointed king over Israel. Now, here's the fascinating thing. Jehu was actually a commander in the army of Ahab and Jezebel. He was one of their servants doing their bidding. But when the anointing of God comes upon Jehu, it's so strong that he literally obliterates the entire dynasty of Ahab and Jezebel and literally obliterates all of the Baal worship, returns Israel back to God. Wowee. The Lord said to him, everything that you have laboured for, everything you have prayed for, I have seen it. My eyes have seen it and my eyes go to and fro the earth that I may fulfil that promise, that I might show myself faithful to my sons and daughters, and the Lord brought it to pass. You know, he says to him, I want you to anoint a prophet. That's not a small miniature thing on the side. I wanna tell you that that's huge. Now, some, some people again read into that superficially, I dare say, because they think, okay, uh, you know, that's just Elijah's rebuke, that somebody else was going to replace him. I don't think so. I don't read it that way in Scripture. That is not the reprimand of Elijah, that is the reward of Elijah. Now, what makes me say that? Think about it. His entire complaint was, Lord, they have killed your prophets and I alone am left. What's he really saying? 
He's saying, Lord, your voice that comes through the prophets, the society has been completely silenced by the enemy. And as a matter of fact, I alone am left and even I am about to go, Lord. That means he believed the threat of Satan, that the voice of the Lord was going to end over the earth, that there was going to be an end to the prophets. But what does the Lord say? He says to him, Elijah, go anoint somebody because this is not the end. This is the beginning of an unstoppable lineage of prophets that shall prophesy my word right throughout the earth. And we know what happened with Elijah and Elisha and the school of prophets. Till this very day, we experience the effects of what happened in that scene. That prophetic anointing that has flown nonstop through the ages. You know why? Because the enemy says it's the end. But God's saying, I'm going to take the very, very threat of the enemy. I'm going to take the sword of the enemy and turn it into a beginning. Because it's not a grave, it's a cave. We see Goliath exactly the same thing happening, pointing the sword at David, defying the armies of the Lord and saying to David, it is the end. You know, it was that very sword that the Lord placed in David's hand to cut off the head of Goliath and not make it the end, but make it the beginning of the ascendancy of David to the throne of Israel. The enemy says it's the end. Can I commit to somebody today? that perhaps the enemy has been saying to you that it's the end of your destiny, that it's the end of your family, that it's the end of your business aspirations for the Lord, that it's the end, that it's the end, that it's the end. But can I again remind you of God's good work, consistent work, that the one who has brought you to the cave is not making it the end, but he's making it the beginning of a wonderful and new thing altogether. Could it be that all the voice of the enemy is, is but a catalyst to dispatch you, to, to come into even agreement with heaven, to dispatch you into a whole new season? Can I just remind us that the devil is just an employee of God? And as a matter of fact, not a very good one because he got fired, but still whatever he does, fulfills the purposes of God. He is not in control. I wanna leave us as we conclude this morning with one final thought that totally fascinates me, totally rocks my world as I read it and as the Holy Spirit shone light on it. The Lord says to Elijah, I want you to go, leave Beersheba where you are and go to Damascus. Now why that blows my mind Beersheba is in Judah, which is the extreme south of the land. Damascus is the extreme north of the land. Between Beersheba and Damascus was a 500-mile journey. Now, why does that blow my mind? Well, here's the thing. If you're running away from a wicked queen that wants to kill you, you don't literally go from the end of the land to the top of the land. You don't do a 500-mile journey. Remember, you're trying to hide. But this is the very power of God in meeting us inside a cave. This is the promise of God according to Psalm 23 and verse 5, that I will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. 
This is literally the work of God to make us greater than our circumstances. When God speaks a word to you and I, we're no longer in that same posture on the inside. On the inside, we even become greater than the situation. It's the supernatural divine work of God before He even does something on the outside that on the inside, there's a new injection of faith. There's a new injection of vision. There's a new injection of divine energy and strength. And I believe that that's what many of us are going to receive this very morning. God has not spoken the Word to us because He wants us to know something new in the Bible. It's because God wants to do it in your life and my life. Do you know, our senior pastor was telling me through the week this fascinating thing that he had read on the, on the tomb of Pharaoh, that apparently there were seeds that, that were found in the tomb of Pharaoh. And, and when they took the seeds out, they were basically estimated to be around 4,000 years old. They were just thrown in a cave. But yet when they took them out, after 4,000 years in a cave, and put them out in a particular place and watered them and gave them the right environment that they became trees that budded and bore fruit. Now, if the Lord can do that with seeds in a cave, what will the Lord do with sons and daughters that He has purchased with precious blood? Here's what I believe the Lord is doing in conclusion of today. The cave that was meant to be a prison and turn into a grave The Lord is saying, no way, son, no way, daughter. It is not a grave, this is a cave. And it's not just any kind of cave. It's a cave that I put you in so that I can speak something so powerful over your life. So I can take you out and you will never be the same again. You will not only be not the same way that you walked in, but you're gonna walk in a new anointing, a new authority. I put you in the cave to fill up your oil bottle and to breathe life all over you. The cave is only a place of release. The cave is only a place where you go from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. The cave is a place of resurrection. I wanna say to somebody today, that the season has been difficult, the isolation has been difficult, it's been dark, damp, but it is not a grave son, daughter. It's a cave where the Holy Spirit is breathing over you, where the Holy Spirit is dispatching you to a new season, a new phase that you have never seen before. The greatest chapter of the church is about to be written post covert the greatest chapter of individual lives is right now, right now, right now. It begins this very day. Let us pray together. I'd love for every single one of us, no matter where you are, stand with me on your feet. Father, in the mighty Name of Jesus, we receive resurrection power. Thank You that it's not by might and not by power, not by human resolve, but by the Spirit of a living God. Spirit of a living God, what You have said in Your Word, do in many, many children this very day. Let there be sons and daughters that will bow down. Let them stand up and get up and dance 
and sing and be full of vision and faith once again. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you. That while the enemy says it's a grave, you say it's a cave and I'm sending you out with authority and power. Thank you because the enemy is defeated, his head's crushed, his lies exposed and your people go free singing your praises in the mighty name that is above every name. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.